Welcome to Wizard Studies. Join us as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we're going to be talking about those lovely high school sweethearts, Molly and Arthur Weasley. Woot, woot. So before we get started, I just wanted to remind everybody again to keep sending us the questions that you have that you want us to answer for that episode in October. We've gotten a couple, but we would love to get some more, so don't forget. And you get entered to win uh, in a giveaway some dope buttons and another prize to be named. Yep, it's all very exciting. And you get your name on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's all you could really ask for. Isn't that everybody's dream? (laughs) Okay, so we're going to do this episode kind of like we did the Dean and Seamus one, where we break down each character separately. They just go together. Um, So starting off with Molly. Molly's full name is Molly Weasley. We do not know her middle name, but her maiden name was Pruitt, which we'll talk about the Pruitt family a little bit later. Uh, The name Molly comes from the name Mary, which is the English version of the Hebrew name Miriam. And the meaning of the name is unknown, but it's thought that it might mean rebelliousness or slash and beloved. So two very different things there. Um, But in Molly's case, the, it probably comes from the term Molly coddle, which means like, helicopter parenting, like pampering, overprotecting type thing. Um, Pruitt is is Welsh in origin, and it's derived from the Middle English word pru, which means brave or valiant, and the suffix et, et, which which implies smallness. So it's like someone that's small but brave, which I guess kind of works with Molly. And then Weasley comes from the weasel jk has said that she just likes the animal weasels and the imagery of like molly as a weasley works really well because mother weasels are supposed to be really protective of their young and like will take on bigger animals to defend their offspring which molly would certainly do Yes, and that ties into her house while she was at Hogwarts because she's willing to protect the people she loves and she's very brave because she was a Gryffindor. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) And then her skills are household spells and healing magic, which we of course see whenever we're at the burrow. And then her hobbies include cooking for multitudes and listening to Miss Celestina Warbeck, who we've talked about before. Kind of a lame fact file on Pottermore. Yeah. Like it, doesn't, like it doesn't have her wand, her doesn't Patronus. Have her, Patronus, her middle name. Yeah. We already knew she was a Gryffindor. Like, yeah. And then her skills are just like basically it's doing stuff around the house. But Yeah. I will say that in the was it the I know it was the Dean and Seamus episode, but I don't remember which one. We did talk about their bug art. So we do know what Molly's bug art is. That's like seeing all of her children and Harry and yeah. Hermione. No Hermione? Dead. I don't remember if it was Hermione. As yeah, well. I can't remember. I bet that 
if it wasn't Hermione during the time of the books, like it would be once Ron marries Hermione. Oh, for sure, yeah. Okay, so moving on to the first mention, the first time we meet Molly is on platform nine three quarters with Harry when he doesn't really know what's going on, but Molly helps him out because, you know, she's a sweet, she's a sweetie like that. So I just have like a very short section describing what um, Harry first described her as. So it says, packed with muggles, of course. Harry swung around. The speaker was a plump woman who was talking to four boys, all with flaming red hair. And so then later on, Molly, like, helps him get through platform nine and three quarters. And the kids are all talking to her, like, oh, my God, did you see that that was Harry Potter? And she's like, don't you dare annoy that boy. Like, leave him be. <laughs> so I think we have a good introduction to Molly. Yeah, I, that's, like, one of the better introductions. Because it's just, like, you always remember. Like, everyone knows the first time you see Molly because it's such a, like, huge um, character point. And it just so, it personifies her so well. Yeah, for sure. All right, so next up we have Molly's Myers-Briggs personality type, which, this is what you just got, right? Yes. Yeah, this is ESFJ, the console, which Katie just took the test for like a fourth time, right? Yeah, it was for and my lifetime health and wellness class. Because <laughs> okay. we're talking about like interpersonal wellness, and so like mm. we talked about personality, how best to like use your personality or advantage. Interesting. Yeah, but this so, is like one of the most popular types, so. Yeah, it is. I think it is also, it's also Lily Evans's type, daughter, sorry, and Cedric. It's what... We used for Cedric during his episode, so... Yep. Listen along and see if it sounds like Katie to you. All right. So, people who share the console personality type are, for lack of a better word, popular, which makes sense given that it is also very common, making up 12% of the population. In high school, consoles are the cheerleaders and quarterbacks, setting the tone, taking the spotlight, and leading their teams forward to victory and fame. Later in life, consoles continue to enjoy supporting their friends and loved ones, organizing social gatherings, and doing their best to make sure everyone is happy. I think we don't really have an idea of what Molly was like in school. The only time like she ever really talks about it is when Harry shows her around Hogwarts before the third task, and she like mentions being out of bed late with Arthur once. Um, it was at like scandalous. four in the morning I think yeah, like scandalous. not just like I was out till twelve thirty. <laughs> um but I don't know she I think she was probably well liked and she may have been like kind of popular she probably didn't have all the worries set in until she had seven children um and a war and stuff like that you know she was probably way more carefree just the small like, things <laughs> she was just hitting molly back then and then things kind of took a turn but I mean the later in life part is very clearly Molly I mean like being with your loved ones supporting your loved ones and then like making sure everyone is happy that's just like her entire role for the Weasley family and also it's kind of like her role with the order as well so discussing scientific theories or debating European politics isn't likely to capture consul's interest for too long they're more concerned with fashion and their appearance, their social status and the standings of other people. Practical matters and gossip are their bread and butter, but consuls do their best to use their powers for good. So I I don't really buy the like Molly being concerned with her own personal social status. 
Maybe she was when she was younger. But she definitely likes to know the status of other people. Like, I think this is kind of one of her weaknesses, is that she, like, reads Rita Skeeter's articles in Witch Weekly and, like, believes the gossip about Harry and Hermione. And, like, this isn't really the same thing, but I feel like it kind of ties into her love of Gilderoy Lockhart. She's kind of, like, a little bit shallow in that sense. So the um, consuls are altruists, and they take their seriously their responsibility to help and to do the right thing. People with this personality type will believe, will base their moral compass on established traditions and laws, upholding authority and rules, rather than drawing their morality from philosophy, philosophy or mysticism. It is important for consuls to remember, though, that people come from many backgrounds and perspectives, and may what may seem right to them isn't always an absolute truth. So certainly the altruist aspect and like taking on responsibilities to like help everyone else really makes sense. I mean, she like opened up the, her house to the order and just like would allow anyone in for a meal or a bed or whatever. And then I think she does kind of have that traditional like her moral compass is like what is supposed to be done and what the laws are. So I think that's why she clashes with Fred and George a lot because she it's not what she saw them doing for a career. The joke shop is, like, not what she imagined. It's not traditional, so she's kind of has an issue with it, even though it's, like, ultimately what they want to do. Uh, consuls love to be of service, enjoying any role that allows them to participate in a meaningful way, so long as they know that they are valued and appreciated. This is especially apparent at home, and consuls make lo- loyal and devoted partners and parents. Consuls' personality console personalities respect hierarchy and do their best to position themselves with some authority at home and at work which allows them to keep things clear stable and organized for everyone and that like the authority thing like she runs the borough like she is totally in charge everything is how she wants it to be and she like needs that for everything to be organized and also I think that she does kind of need to, like, feel some sort of appreciation. I think she's extremely selfless and, like, dedicates her whole life to her family, but there definitely are times where, like, it's kind of like she needs someone to, like, acknowledge that she's working hard. She likes a little bit of recognition, which don't we all? (laughs) Coming to terms with their sensitivity is Consul's biggest challenge. People are going to disagree and they're going to criticize, and while it hurts, it's just a part of life. The best thing for consuls to do is do what they do best, be a role model, take care of what they have the power to take care of, and enjoy that so many people do appreciate the efforts they make. So she can certainly be a little emotional at times, but I think that that take-home message at the end there about being a role model and just like continuing to do what they do and helping the people that they help is really important for Molly. Okay, so for strengths, we have strong practical skills, Strong sense of duty, very loyal, sensitive and warm, and good at connecting with others. I think most of these apply to, like, her role with the Order and with the Weasley family. Although, I don't know that she's always totally practical. Like, sometimes, not that she, like, does wild things, but the sense that she's not practical and sometimes, like, in her expectations of others. Like, she wants everything to be perfect or, like... She wants Fred and George to, she wants them to do the practical thing, but, like, that's not practical for her to believe. Does that make sense? Yes. 
it's not practical for her to expect all of her children to be, like, Practical. Yeah. (laughs) I get it. I follow. (laughs) And then for weaknesses, worried about their social status, which I already said I don't really see. Inflexible, reluctant to innovate or improvise, vulnerable to criticism, often too needy, and too selfless. I don't see the too needy thing either. I guess that could tie in a little bit to, like, the feeling to me, feeling like they need to be appreciated, but I don't, I don't know that she's, like, often too needy. Um, She sometimes is, like, reluctant to improvise, like, she wants things to be done the way she wants them done, but definitely, like, raising seven kids, she had to be, like, innovative, especially not really having money, so I think, like, while at times she's, like, a little inflexible and stuff, she... It's not, like, a huge weakness, because I think she does get over things if she needs to. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think I personally connect more with the weaknesses of this. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely connect with the strengths, too, but, like, the weaknesses, I'm like, oh, my God, yes, that's so me. Like, the inflexible, <laughs> the, like, very traditional, that's so me. Like, I really don't like change. I like things to be the way that, they're all, that they've always been. I'm very much, yeah. like, I follow the rules. Like, I don't question rules very often. Like, I love my rules. I'm very vulnerable to criticism. <laughs> that's definitely, like, one of my weaknesses that I know about myself. So. Yeah. yeah I can see some of those for you. What can I say? The strengths too, myself. not just the weaknesses. Yeah. <laughs> I think like all... one of the strengths is very loyal, which Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. I think we Mrs. Weasley's second house is definitely Hufflepuff. Oh yeah, for sure. That's like not even a debate. Yeah. Also, how like too selfless is one of these weaknesses? I'm just like <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> It's, like, not a bad weakness, but whatever. <laughs> like, I understand, like, how it can be a weakness at some points and, like, yeah. can be a bad thing, but it's, like, oh, man, I'm just, like, too good-looking. Like, it's I mean, kind of, like, saying that, like, like that. It's, like, you're gonna have a weakness. It's, like, in a job interview when they're, like, what's your biggest weakness? <laughs> like, sometimes I just work too hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, I'm going to talk a little bit just about the Pruitt family and specifically a little bit about her two brothers, Fabian and Gideon. Um, So those were Molly's brothers, Fabian and Gideon Pruitt. They were both (laughs) members of the Order of the Phoenix during the first rise to, during Voldemort's first rise to power. There we go. And then they were both killed. They were together and five Death Eaters came and like ambushed them and they ended up kind of like, holding their own, like, they died heroes. I even want to say, like, this might be about somebody else, but wasn't there, like, speculation that, like, Voldemort himself killed them? Or is that, Um, am I thinking of somebody else? You might be thinking, oh, you're thinking of um, Amelia Bones, or not, yeah, aren't you thinking of Amelia Bones? Maybe. Which we talked (laughs) about in the, like, deaths episode. Mm, yeah. Anyways, they, like, died very heroic death. They did all they could. I don't think it... I don't know if it's ever said... I think it might be said somewhere in the book which Death Eaters it was, but I couldn't find it online, but I think it's... I think it's, like, one of... Like, it's, like, some of the head honcho Death Eaters. Yeah. It wasn't, like, Stan Shunpike was sent to kill them. (laughs) (laughs) These are real Death Eaters. Yeah. Um, and then Molly ends up giving 
her brother Fabian's watch to Harry for his 17th birthday because it's a tradition that when wizards come of age, like the traditional gift that is given to them is a watch. And she kind of apologizes, like, oh, it's old. Like, he wasn't, he didn't take care of his things. But Harry is just so thankful that she would think of him and kind of, like, pass on this family heirloom. Like, it's not just, like, she bought a watch at Kohl's or whatever. Like, this is actually, like, her dead brother's possession. We don't know how many of his possessions she owns at this point. So giving that to Harry, I think, is really telling of how much she sees him as her own son. And we'll talk a little bit about Harry and Molly's relationship later in the episode, right? Maybe I'm getting confused with Vagina. We'll cut that out. Don't worry about it. Um, oh, yeah, we do. We do. Molly is a mother figure to Harry. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure I did stuff like that. Sorry, there's so many notes. <laughs> Anyways. And like I said, um, the watch was dented in the back, but Harry is so, like, so thankful. And he's so, he's wearing it in the epilogue and then 19 years later, which is like. Does he so wear it in Cursed Child? I don't know. I, so. I, don't I like know don't know whether it's mentioned. I don't think it's in the like the play, the written. If anybody's seen Cursed Child, <laughs> if anybody's seen Cursed Child or is going, be on the lookout to see whether Harry's wearing a yeah. watch. Because I I know they do his scars that I must not tell mm-hmm. lies on his hand. So I yeah. feel like they would do the watch. I like really hope they do, but I, I don't so. think it's in the movie, so maybe not. Okay, so this is, uh, this next section is about how JK decided for Molly to kill Bellatrix, or I guess she always knew, but, like, it's her reasoning for having Molly to be the one to kill Bellatrix, which is, like, one of Molly's shining moments in the series, and it's, like, one of the best lines in the series. Um, so this was in the interview, it was, like, a QA. and a uh, after Deathly Hallows was released, and it's also the interview where she reveals that Dumbledore is gay. It's also the one where she talks about Neville and Hannah Abbott. Um, and then there's something about Arthur that I'm going to talk about later in this episode, too. So it's a big interview. So the question was, how did you decide that Molly Weasley would be the one to finish off Bellatrix? And she kind of gives two reasons, and I'll, I'll read her full response for the two of them. So she says, I always knew Molly was going to finish her off. I think there was some speculation that Neville would do it because Neville obviously has a particular reason to hate Bellatrix. So there were lots of options for Bellatrix, but I never deviated. I wanted it to be Molly, and I wanted it to be Molly for two reasons. The first reason was I always saw Molly as a very good witch, but someone whose light is necessarily hidden under a bushel because she isn't in the kitchen. She is in the kitchen a lot, and she has had to raise, among others, Fred and George, which is, like, enough. (laughs) I wanted Molly to have her moment and to show that because a woman had dedicated herself to her family does not mean that she does not have a lot of other talents. Yes, snaps to that. (laughs) Um, I really love this reason because I think it, like, parallels a lot of, or goes against, I don't know, a lot of the negative rhetoric that we hear um, around stay-at-home moms all the time. People saying that it's, like, a waste of skills or education. Uh, but Molly here, or, like, that stay-at-home moms, like, don't know anything. But, like, she here's Molly showing that, like, she's powerful, she's strong. And, like, just because she hasn't been out in combat 
all the time. She's still, like, a really good witch. And, like, Bellatrix is one of the most powerful. I think she's the best Death Eater, like, most powerful Death Eater. And, like, Molly just takes her on. And I love that it totally, her defending Ginny from Bellatrix, like, totally, like, it's just such a perfect, like, way for Bellatrix to die. Like, mother's love. Um, and then the second reason JK says it was the meeting of two kinds if you call what Bellatrix feels for Voldemort love I guess we'll call it love she has a kind of obsession with him it's a very sick obsession and I wanted to match that kind of obsession with maternal love the power that you give someone by loving them so Molly was really an amazing exemplar of maternal love there was something very satisfying about putting these two women together and I totally agree with this. Like I said, it's such a like it's such a nice um, like juxtaposition of the two. And I think also I really like how when we talk about maternal love in the series, we almost always talk about Lily because like that's kind of the whole point of the entire series. Um, but Molly like shows her acts of love constantly throughout the series, and then I like how it like culminates with this like one big act, and it's kind of like. It's, again, a mother defending a child from, um, like, a dark force, like Voldemort or a Death Eater. But this time, Molly survives. Lily didn't survive, but Molly does. So it's kind of, like, it's kind of perfect. Love that. Speaking of Molly being a good mother, we're going to talk a little bit about how Molly was a mother figure to Harry. And doing the notes for this, I I literally wrote down, like, there's too many instances to count, but I'm just going to, like, hit the ones that I remembered. So I'm going to kind of, like, start from the beginning. We already talked a little bit about this, but Molly, like, taking him under her wing and showing him how to get through pl- the platform and defending him in front of her ch- – not, like, defending him in front of her children, but standing up for him in front of mm-hmm. her children, saying, like, no, like, leave that poor boy alone – don't try and touch his scar because I think like Fred and George are like, oh, I want to see his scar. And she's like, don't ask him that. <laughs> so just like from the beginning, she saw, she could tell that he was somebody that was lacking that mother's love and that mother's guidance. And she was off like from jump willing to give that to him. And then she opened her house to him always, every break, every summer break, every winter break, every Easter break did they go home (laughs) nope (laughs) every break that they had she allowed him to stay at her home and treated him just like she would treat any of her other children she always got him gifts this like thinking about this literally blew my mind she got him a Christmas gift she made him a Christmas gift that she only gives family members and yeah. she had only met him once at this point. Yeah. Like, the first Christmas. How much do you think Ron, like, wrote home about That's Harry? That's what or I was saying. He, like, do you think she would have done it even if Ron and Harry, like, weren't best friends? Like, if they were maybe both Gryffindors but not best friends, do you think she still would have done it because she knew that he was an orphan? I think she would have... But I think that, like, Ron was definitely... I think a lot of it played into, like, Ron... Like, she knew how close they were. Yeah. It's kind of, like, what I, wonder I how thought. Often, I wonder how often Ron wrote home. I feel like she would write Ron more often. Like, she would... Molly would and have to And he'd respond to be like, it. 
he was are good. Harry's winning. Harry's the seeker of the Quidditch team. Like, he'd probably just talk about Harry. Yeah. So yeah, seriously. Um, and then she came to the third task when, he, like, when family was invited uh, during the Triwizard Tournament. She was the one that showed up for him, uh, her and Bill, which, again, just, like, speaks to how ingrained Harry is in the Weasley family. And she came and she cheered him on. Like I said, she always defended him and she cared so much about him. Um, And then I think it shows how much Harry cared about her and how much of like a relationship they had that was very much like a mother and child because there were instances where Molly would annoy him specifically with like with how her and Sirius would talk to each other and how like she would treat Sirius and how Sirius would treat Molly. He like was the to the point of loving her that he had like kind of had like a family you know how you you don't always get along with your brother you don't always get along with your mother but like you still love them no matter what kind of thing like they had that relationship so I think that again just like speaks to how close they were and then also there's that tumblr post that talks about how like when uh like molly got to heaven she saw this like woman young woman with like flaming red hair like running at her and like for a second she thought it was jenny but then like lily came up and hugged her and was like thank you so much just like for being the mother that harry needed yeah and i'm going to talk later about how i believe that arthur is the best father figure that harry has in his life step aside serious (laughs) I, on that note, though, I think we, like, have, it's such a discussion of, like, father figures for Harry, because there's, like, all of these options, right? But really, I don't know, like, I guess guess you could, Molly's the only one that I can really see making an argument as a mother figure. I could, I'm gonna make a little bit, yeah, that's what I was gonna say, like, I'm gonna talk about their relationship in the next episode, and I think it's a lot closer than, like, you think on the surface. I wouldn't go so far as to be like, oh, she's like a mother to him, but she's more of like, I feel like an aunt, you know, kind of like. I think, I think it's very much, I don't know, like, it's, it's, I think it's very much student-teacher, but in, like, a in the way that stu- a student and teacher would be if, like, the teacher had taught the parents and those parents had then passed away. and Like, like a family orphan, friend you know? that was a teacher kind of thing. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually really accurate yeah. when I think about it. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, obviously, like I said, I didn't hit all of the instances that Molly was, like, a mother to Harry. But I think that just, like, the overall feeling that both of them have, like, speaks enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to break down all the instances and all, of, like, the individual actions that Molly does because it really comes down to how they feel about each other. And I think Harry loves her like a mother, and I think Molly loves him like a son. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, so then uh, to wrap up the Molly section, we just have the, like, from the Calling All Witches book. There's a series in it, a few pages in it, with tough mothers and... It's all about the mothers in the wizarding world, and so Molly is in it, and she's described as fierce, protective, and just, which I think are pretty apt descriptors. Um, They call her the fiercest mother in the wizarding world, and a tigress in the face of danger, which I love. (laughs) Um, They talk about how she was instrumental to the Order in the Second Wizarding War, 
and how she opened her home to them, and then, of course, about how she killed Bellatrix. So those are, those are the highlights of Molly Pruitt Weasley. I think they missed an opportunity to say lioness. Like, I know. She's a Gryffindor. I was thinking that, too. But it's fine. <laughs> it's kind of weird that they went with Tiger. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Warner Brothers, since it's based on the movies, maybe they also think that the mascot for Gryffindor is a tiger. Uh, wasn't, <laughs> like, isn't, uh, isn't Tigress the name of the snake in Kung Fu Panda? I or no, don't. maybe the tiger? <laughs> It's the tiger, I think. Never seen that Angelina movie. Jolie's character. I think no. that's, that's so all So are you saying that Angelina Jolie should have played Molly Weasley? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, it's still my turn. Okay. Yeah. So now moving on to Arthur. The fact file on him is a little bit better than the one for Molly. So Arthur's full name is Arthur Weasley. We also don't know his middle name. And he was potentially named after King Arthur because we know that the names Ginny and Percy are also coming from the King Arthur stories. And Arthur also has Celtic roots and can mean both a bear and king. So I don't know where the bear thing fits in, but I don't know. I guess he's king of he's the He's a Weasley fierce family. father bear. Papa bear. Papa bear. Oh, papa he bear. is a papa bear. Oh. <laughs> Um, his birthday is February 6th, 1950. So I think it's extra interesting that we have a birthday for Arthur and not one for Molly. Because I feel like out of those two, I would expect us to have more information on Molly just because I feel like she's more... She's more in the series, I think. Yeah, I think so. Anyways, yeah, yeah his birthday is February 6th, 1950. Yep, and then her his house is Gryffindor. Again, shocker. (laughs) His Patronus is a weasel. So I'm just going to read the MuggleNet writing about this Patronus. Weasels are one of the world's smallest carnivores! Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) This means they have to compensate for their size by attitude. Weasels seem like a cute little rodent you'd want to keep as a pet, but they are quite mischievous little things. They are quick-minded and slick. They are masters of chaos and are actually quite intelligent. It's no wonder that a group of weasels... It's no wonder that a group of weasels is often called a boggle or a confusion. A weasel is a strong patron... Boogle? I don't know. It's two O's and one G. Oh. Does boggle, like the game, O-G-G? Yeah. I don't think I've ever played Boggle. <clears throat> a weasel is a strong Patronus because it easily outwits any predator that threatens it. I mean, obviously, I think this is, like, kind of an obvious choice for him. Because <laughs> <we're last> <laughs> but, like, I don't really know if I like that description for Arthur. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, no. I think he is, like, he's, like, smart. I guess the quick-minded. But he's not slick, I mean, I don't, like, and not to, mischievous. yeah, I mean, not to bash Arthur or anything, but, like, I don't even know if I would call him, like, quick-witted or, like, quite intelligent. I think I don't he's know. curious. I, yes, for sure. But, I like, he's not, he, I don't think he's a quick-witted, like, witty person. Yeah. No, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Would you say his second house is Ravenclaw because of the curiosity or Hufflepuff? Definitely not Slytherin because he's not ambitious. I don't know. I feel like he 
I think he would be Ravenclaw second just because he val- I think he values curiosity more. Yeah. Than like but he is like But I think that he would almost he's a family fit better. guy. Like, yeah. Like I think that like the sorting hat because like it's what you value. I think like technically his second house would be Ravenclaw, but yeah. I think he would fit better in Hufflepuff than in Ravenclaw kind of thing. Yeah. I also think that his he may be more of like a Hufflepuff leader in life, like once he has kids. Yeah. You know? True. Okay, so his hobbies are studying how the muggle world works. <laughs> and I found this Reddit thread. <laughs> and the question is what exactly is the function of a rubber duck? So I'm just going to read some of the responses. One of them, this is from like seven years ago. One of them says, to keep the Nargles from invading your bathwater. Duh. <laughs> um, this is maybe my personal favorite. Actually, I didn't read a lot of these before, so I don't know. <laughs> this one says, uh, actually, the rubber duck was Voldemort's last horcrux, <laughs> not Harry. It was destroyed when the Death Eaters attacked the burrow at Bill and Fleur's wedding, though. Um, someone said... <laughs> I got this shit. Expert in muggle studies over here. A lot of us in the muggle studying community wish it were something more dramatic. Alas, some of the biggest mysteries just have simple answers. After years of research, myself and many others in the community have concluded that the rubber ducky is just a toy for the bath. <laughs> sometimes they squeak, sometimes they squirt water. This thread is by Lawless Kenny, it looks like. Um, yep. Yeah. And then I just wanted to say that, like, I don't know if anybody picked up on this, but, like, the reason why our podcast is called Wizard Studies is because it's, like, a play on muggle studies. Um, So let me know if you guys picked up on that. Because, like, they were, like, wizards studying muggles in muggle studies, and we're, like, muggles studying wizards. (laughs) Let me know. Um, also, can I just read, I just scrolled down to, like, more from the Harry Potter community on Reddit, which I don't understand Reddit at all, but it's a screenshot of a Tumblr post by Jammin' the TARDIS. It says, it bewilders me that they didn't give the Hogwarts first years maps. Like, have fun navigating an ancient castle full of shit that could literally kill you by yourself, suckers. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's a screenshot of Maggie Smith from Downton Abbey. Making her face. <laughs> no one can see you. You can. <laughs> anyway, if you've watched Maggie Smith and Downton Abbey, you probably know oh, what face she's making. So good. Can't wait for the movie. I know it comes out in a week. Actually, Actually it will have already come out by the time this episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I... Seen it. <laughs> I have, like, three seasons of Downton Abbey I need to catch up on. Uh, I watched the last two seasons, like, two weeks ago to mm. catch up. It's just a big investment, like, for it's emotionally. So I it's know, so but, like, it's just, like, such an emotional investment to yeah. watch. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a lot. Yeah. I'm seeing Anyways. from today. Oh, um, speaking of Arthur Weasley, I don't know if we talked about this before, and BBC shows, if anybody's ever seen Father Brown, the guy who plays Arthur Weasley is, like, the star of that, and I really like it. He's, like, a priest. What is his name? Mark Williams? Something like that, yeah. Okay. 
um, it's really good. I recommend. Um, so his first mention in this series comes in Chamber of Secrets, and it's after Harry and Ron and Fred and George get back from Fort Privet Drive after driving the Fort Anglia. It says... Mr. Weasley was slumped in a kitchen chair with his glasses off and his eyes closed. He was a thin man going bald, but the little hair he had was as red as any of his children's. He was wearing long green robes, which were dusty and travel-worn. What a night, he said, groping for the teapot as they all sat around him. Nine raids! Nine! (laughs) Uh, I love that. Okay. I can just like hear him say you like yeah. you like the actor saying that. Yeah. Which fun fact weren't they raiding the Malfoys? Was that that time? I think so because then in Flourish and Blots, mm. that Lucius says like something about raids. Like how? Yeah. Maybe they were raiding. I don't know. Well, because I don't, I don't know if he's actually ever able to raid the Malfoys, because I feel like he tries uh, to, yeah. and then, like, maybe he finally does, but, like, he still can't really find anything. Yeah. I think there was a threat around it or something. I don't know. Yeah. All right. On to our second personality type of episode. Wait, before you start. So, fun fact, you know how we talked about, like, how I'm the console? Yeah. So in that class that I have that we had to take the 16 personalities test, one of my, like, littles for my sorority is in that class, and she got the logician. 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 So we're, like, a match made in heaven if we're, like, You Mar- are Molly Arthur, Arthur and Molly. Yeah. So Katie gave it away. But <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Arthur's personality type is INTP, or the logician, and it's also Hermione's. So, this personality type is fairly rare, making up only 3% of the population, which is definitely a good thing for them, as there's nothing they'd be more unhappy about than being common. Logicians pride themselves on being on their inventiveness and creativity, their unique perspective, and vigorous intellect. Can you shut off your vibration? I just turned it on, do not disturb. <laughs> that was like the third time it happened. I, did, I, I didn't hear it the other times because I was talking, so I thought Ugh. it wasn't buzzing. Okay, well, they pride themselves on their inventiveness and creativity, unique perspective, and vigorous intellect, usually known as the philosopher, the architect, or the dreamy professor. Um, they're responsible for, they've been responsible for many scientific discoveries throughout history. And I think Arthur, obviously, is, like, very curious And he gives off those, like, dreamy professor vibes where he's just kind of, like, in a daydream the entire time. I thought we were talking about, like... Dreamy? Like, dreamy. He's so dreamy. Oh, wait, that might be it. That might be what they were going for. (laughs) I I mean, I really don't know. Well, I just, I think I was thinking about Arthur while I was reading it, so I (laughs) did not think it was dreamy. It's dreamy. (laughs) Um, but I think it's interesting to point out that those are, like, that seems like a very Ravenclaw description with, like, not wanting to be common and all of the, like, intellect and curiosity. And the two people so far that we know that have that is Arthur and Hermione, who are Gryffindors. So they love patterns and spotting discrepancies 
between statements could almost be described as a hobby, making it a bad idea to lie to a logician. This makes it ironic that logicians' word should always be taken with a grain of salt. It's not that they are dishonest, but people with this personality type tend to share thoughts that are not fully developed, using others as a sounding board for ideas and theories in a debate against themselves rather than as actual conversation partners. So I don't know if this is entirely true, but I do see the, like, weird conversation part of Arthur because he's, like, always asking questions and he's always seems to be, like, thinking about something while he's talking to you, I think. Not that I've ever <laughs> But he's, like, he's a little bit, like, out of it and socially awkward, I think. People who share this personality type aren't interested in practical day-to-day activities and maintenance, but when they find an environment where their creative genius and potential can be expressed, there is no limit to the time and energy logicians will expend in developing an insightful and unbiased solution. I think this is interesting because I think a lot of wizards would see Arthur's work as day-to-day activities, like because he's working with muggles but to him it's not like that it's like this place where you can be like creative and curious and learn all these new things so like to him he gets so excited excited by his work and he has his thing and he enjoys it and he doesn't care to like climb the ladder at the ministry imagine an immensely complicated clockwork taking in every fact and idea possible processing them with a heavy dose of creative reasoning and returning the most logically sound results available this is how the mind works, This and this type has little tolerance for an emotional monkey wrench, dra- wrench jamming their machines. Which is interesting. Okay, well that just, like, him trying to, like, figure things out is reminds me of him trying to figure out the function of a rubber duck. Like, I feel like he really struggled with that one. <laughs> and it's interesting that, like, it makes a point to say that they have little tolerance for emotional people or, like, emotions because I feel like Mrs. Weasley is pretty emotional. Yeah. So maybe that's a flaw in this type for him. Strengths are great analysts and abstract thinkers, imaginative and original, open-minded, enthusiastic, objective, honest, and straightforward. I think the open-minded one is interesting in contrast to Molly's personality type weakness being, like, inflexible. And then objective, honest, and straightforward makes sense when you think about, like, I feel like when Harry and Ron and Hermione kind of needed to know something about the ministry, they would often, like, ask Arthur, and he would be pretty upfront about them, about it, and sometimes probably tell, like, too much, but he would he would, like, tell them, like, stuff about the last war, and, like, he wouldn't try and really protect them because they were kids, um, like Molly did. Weaknesses, very private and withdrawn, insensitive, absent-minded, condescending, loathe rules and guidelines, and second-guess themselves. I don't see a ton of these with Arthur. Um, I guess he could be seen as insensitive when he's just kind of, like, lost in his thoughts and doesn't realize that Molly wants his support. You know, because he doesn't carry as much of the, like, emotional burden of the family as Molly does. But he's... One of them that I really disagreed with was condescending, because I don't think he's that at all. Yeah. It's funny, like, when you listed those weaknesses, because I think those are, like, the exact opposite of the console. 
Yeah. And one of their Evolving. things is that they're sensitive. One of their things is that they're, like, practical, yeah. so, like, not absent-minded. Very loyal, so, like, not really condescending. They, and they like, like, rules. rules. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. I just found that very interesting. So, moving on, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I believe and why I believe Arthur is the best father figure to Harry throughout the entire series. And if people want to fight with me about that, my inbox is open. Wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. Yes. So, Arthur might not have been as in-your-face as Molly was about how much he cared for Harry, but I think that he really did care for Harry. Again, like, he always welcomed him into his home. Like, like the first time Harry was there, he was just kind of like, oh, who are you? Like, nice He's to like, meet you're you. you're not one of mine. <laughs> yeah. Like, just very, like, nonchalant about it. And, like, again, always very welcoming to him. He was very protective protective of Harry when he like thought that Sirius was out to get him okay one thing going back to like welcoming him into his home like we have to remember that the Weasleys were not like well off it was not like oh we have like six guest bedrooms and like a maid to do all this work so like you can just come stay with us they were struggling on their own and already had seven kids so I just think that, like, that's so important to consider. Like, yes, he was welcoming. They welcomed him into his home, like, one of their own kids. But also, like, that couldn't have been easy for them. Yeah, for sure not. Um, I think that he genuine, genuinely really liked Harry and liked hanging out with him. I think there's a scene where, like, him and Harry are just, like, in his shed. And he's, like, tinkering about, like, with mobile <laughs> artifacts. And he's just, like, asking Harry questions and, like, talking to him. And, he, and he's like, by the way, don't mention this to Molly. <laughs> like, I think that he just really, I mean, part of it was probably he loved, like, getting Harry's knowledge about the Muggle world. But I think yeah. also he just, like, genuinely really liked him. He was always there from year two on. I mean, there the scene in five where, like, Harry saves his life. Like, he is so appreciative of that. And, like, obviously, I think it's good for him to be appreciative. But Harry kind of feels like you don't need to be appreciative. I would have done that for anybody. Like, you've given me so much. Like, this was nothing. You know, yeah. like, I was good gonna save you no matter what um I think like he thought enough about Harry like to get him an extra ticket to the Quidditch World Cup which I think says a lot he was asking for a favor for those and so like it might not be the easiest to ask for that many because he already has so many kids to begin with (laughs) but to like think enough to ask for one for Harry and Hermione too is like so sweet yeah And I think he was the most consistent and responsible father figure to Harry. I think consistent, thank you, consistent (laughs) is kind of my argument against Sirius and Lupin. Mm -hmm. And then responsible, this might sound really bad, but I think responsible is my argument against Hagrid. Like, I think that. Against Sirius, I think. Yeah, for sure. But, like, I think that after Arthur, it's going to be Hagrid in my mind for the best father figure. But I think Hagrid was kind of more of this, like, cool uncle figure than really a father. Because, like, he didn't... Like, obviously, he cared about Harry and, like, his wellness. But, like, Hagrid just wasn't... he Like, his mind doesn't always think first about, like, being a father. You know, kind of thing. Like, he doesn't have paternal instincts as much. I think also Harry was Harry and Hagrid were like friends yeah Um, for sure so I'm not saying that like 
Arthur's relationship with Harry was more important than Hagrid's relationship with Harry. I actually think Hagrid's was more important. Yeah. But Arthur was more of a father figure because, like, Harry, like, I feel like helped Hagrid as much as Hagrid helped him. You know, like, he would, like, go and comfort him when he was crying. And I'm not saying that can't be, like, a father-son relationship, but it's not really what we think of when we talk about, like, father figure. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, and, like, Harry literally calls him a friend, and, like, Hagrid calls Harry a friend, whereas I don't think Arthur would ever consider Harry his friend. Like, Arthur considers Harry as, like, an adoptive son or, like, his son's best friend or something, you know, like, something along those lines. More, like, a degree of separation as opposed to, like, same generation, like, kind of thing. Even though Hagrid, like, is not in the same generation technically as Harry, but still. But I yeah. agree with you. Again, if you want to find me on that, my inbox is open, but I'm right. And I think we'll talk. I don't I, I don't think we should get into the series stuff now, but I think we'll talk certainly about Sirius, his role as a father figure um, or not great father figure, which I think is kind of what we both believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we'll talk about that when we get to his episode, which will be, that'll be a big episode. but For sure. And then also, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you, okay, you know how, like, it's kind of, like, a thing that, like, a father can, like, or, like, a man really likes this younger man, like, can consider him a son, you know, but then, like, he, like, gets with his daughter, and he's, like, Mm. he's, like, all protective over his daughter, and, like, I don't think Molly, I think when Harry and Ginny got together, Molly was probably very excited and not, like, protective and, like, against Harry, but do you think that Arthur, like, had a moment where he was, like, you can't, I don't know, that doesn't really seem in Arthur's character, but. No, I don't think so. I think that, I think that Arthur would be ecstatic, just like Molly. Yeah. Like, I think Ron has the, the protective like, older brother protective. The, Yeah, I yeah. think he has that in him. I don't, like, I think that Arthur would be kind of, like, well, this is great. I like you already. Like, you're already a part of the family. Win-win for us. Arthur's like, I don't have to talk to another person. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Well, now moving on to that same interview I was talking about with Molly. This is why JK didn't kill Arthur. So, somebody asked, how different would the last two books have been if Arthur had been killed in the middle of book five? Which... He could have been by Nagini. Um, JK said, I think they would have been very different, and it's part of the reason why I chose my mind. Why I chose my mind. Some of this interview, it's like transcribed. Why I made up my mind, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> by turning Ron into half of Harry, in other words, by turning Ron into someone who had suffered the loss of a parent, I was going to remove the Weasleys as a refuge for Harry, and I was going to necessarily remove a lot of Ron's humor. That's part of the reason why I didn't kill Arthur. I wanted to keep Ron intact. A lot of Ron's humor comes from his insensitivity and his immaturity, to be honest about Ron. And Ron finally, I think, you see, grows up in this book. She's talking about Deathly Hallows. He's the last of the three to reach what I consider adulthood, and he does it then when he destroys the Horcrux and faces those things. So that's part of the reason. The only reason I didn't, the only other reason I didn't kill Arthur was that I wanted to come full circle. We started with an orphan, 
someone who lost their parents because of the war. And so I wanted to show it again. Even though you don't see Teddy, I wanted to express in the epilogue that he gets an even better godfather than Harry had. Because Sirius had his faults, I think we must admit. He was a risky guy to have as a godfather. Because Teddy gets someone who really has been there. And Harry becomes a really great father figure for Teddy as well as his own children. I hasten to add that it didn't. I didn't kill Lupin or Tonks lightly. I love them as characters, so that hurt killing them. Okay, first, talk about the Ron thing. I think, I think this is like a really good point, and I think maybe we don't realize how crucial like Ron's like humor and light presence, like kind of immature presence, is to like lightening up the last two or three books because they get very dark and like I don't if they if she had killed Sirius and Arthur in the same book that would have been that would have been a lot I just wonder how like Harry and Ron would have grieved together and I don't know if that would have like I feel like that kind of would have not brought them together you know yeah and then the other point she has about Teddy we've talked about this before with the Lupin episode but the sentence she said where it says Harry becomes a really great father figure for Teddy as well as his own children I think it's really interesting because obviously Cursed Child was not written then but this may support you Cursed Child is not canon claim because like the whole point of Cursed Child is to show that Harry's not easily a great father figure I think he grows to be a good father but like and he was a good father figure for Teddy but I don't know that, I don't know. She really kind of glossed over it there. Yep. <laughs> this episode's not about Chris Child. <laughs> we will get there when we get there. Some, sometime, eventually. We'll see. <laughs> are you done? Yeah. Okay. So, for the where are they now section, we really don't have much information about them. Um, basically, they're just, like, grandparents to a bajillion children. Um, it did say that Molly serves as the namesake for one of Percy's children. He names her mm. Molly. And then I did find that Arthur... What, what is the exact wording here? Um... He, Arthur probably assisted in the decorruption of the ministry and would have carried on with his life improving muggle rights with Kingsley Shacklebolt's personal nice. help. So it seems like, again, I don't think there's a source on this. It's on the wiki. So don't know how reliable it is, but I can see that being true, like him continuing his work at the ministry, especially now that he's like personal friends with the Minister for Magic. Yeah. Can you imagine how good of grandparents they would be? They're going to be the best. They're all going to have... Mrs. Weasley is going to have to pick up her knitting speed. Because, like, yeah, the amount of sweaters so she has to knit in a year. Um, also, I don't really know why I thought of this. I guess it's just post-Deathly Hallows, Molly Weasley. But have you read that Tumblr post that's like... Oh, God, it's so... It's so sad. It's, like, essentially going through, like, her after the Battle of Hogwarts, like, in the times after, and, like, seeing Fred oh, and Fred all of and her all kids. Of her, I think yeah. I even sent it to you. Yeah, I Maybe. think I've seen that before. It's, yeah. like, how Ginny, like, writes, has, like, the same handwriting like, as slant. Fred. Yeah. 
And then it um, ends with, like, George sitting at the table and she thought it was Fred. Like, yeah. So sad. Anyway, okay. I can't think on. about it. <laughs> All right. So now wrapping up with their cocktails. So Ooh. Arthur Weasley's is a ginger guzzler. Love that. Um, quote, this is a really fresh tasting cocktail that is great for sipping whilst relaxing at the borough. Reading the latest edition of Plugs and Fuses Monthly. <laughs> so a ginger guzzler is two parts brandy, six parts ginger ale, one dash of bitters and ice. I like ginger I like, ale. Yeah, I don't like ginger, but I like ginger ale, so I feel like I could do that. Mm. I don't know how I feel about brandy. But. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever had brandy, if I'm being honest. Okay, and then Molly's drink is Molly Wobbles, um, which of course is her nickname. Uh, so, it's... A very sweet combination. The Molly Wobbles is another shot that is just perfect for practicing your layering skills. There's nothing in particular that links it with Molly herself, but the name is so good that it had to be used. Um, and so it's a shot that's one part grenadine and one part peach schnapps. Mm. Which is interesting. And it's I also, it's really red like because grenadine. Yeah. You wouldn't like it? No. I don't like, I'm not a big fan of peach flavors. The flavor mm, yeah. of peach. I like I, peaches. Yeah. I don't know if I would like it. Probably not. Are you a Ravenclaw who likes to learn things? Or a Hufflepuff who wants to know cool science facts to share with your friends? Maybe you're a Gryffindor who wants to know whether your favorite superhero show is accurate. Spoiler alert. The Flash is not accurate. Or a Slytherin who wants to learn about sneaky things like poisons and finding buried bodies, but, you know, is too smart to do the Googling yourself because you don't want to end up on the FBI's watch list. Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWPod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. Okay, time for our pop quiz. If you could eat anything that Molly made throughout this series, what would it be? I think that I would eat the golden snitch cake that she makes for Harry. Isn't it his, is it 17th birthday, I think? Yeah, I think it's for his yeah, 17th it's birthday. Definitely Hallows. Yeah. Because it was probably Solid really good. And answer. it looked good. Mine would be probably as sweet as well. I think I would have to go with her homemade strawberry ice cream because I love me some strawberry ice cream. Mm. 
interesting. I'm not a big fruit ice cream. Mm. Strawberry is really the the exception. Like a good strawberry oh. milkshake is like one of my favorite things. My exception is black raspberry ice cream. Ew. That might be a New England thing. Do you know that? Black raspberry? Like I've heard blackberry. No, it's like a, you know, it's a New England thing. Okay. You'll get some when you come here. <laughs> so <Yeah>. good. <laughs> okay. Go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, and also you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or I think you can leave reviews on those other platforms as well. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wizard Studies Podcast and Twitter as Wizard Studies. Again, if you want to slide into the DMs or get in our slide into our inbox about your thoughts on who's the best father figure to Harry, feel free. Our email, as mentioned earlier, is wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. And again, don't forget to send us any questions you have for the episode in October. Yeah, this is your second to last warning over a podcast, but we will be posting on our social media. Correct. As always, thank you so much for listening, and remember, just do your best, we'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Mm-hmm.